Revelation 21, verse 1-7 to Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the firm things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The ones who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Did anyone ever ask you this question? What's your story? There's a lot of ways you can be asked that question. So what's your story? Like, uh, what's your excuse for being here? Sometimes uh, people ask you that question, like, from genuine interest. Like, tell me your story. You have a story, don't you? What would be the point of your story, I wonder? Does it have a point, or is it just a story? Does it matter, your story? Well, <clears throat> there is a story. There's a story. And then there's your story. Do they have a relationship? Last time we started trying to answer this question, what child is this? You know, it's a famous Christmas carol, what child is this? And if you read the lyrics to that carol, you'll find some answers to that question some biblical answers to that question, but I thought I'd like to look at this text of Scripture as a way of answering this question, which is, the text is Hebrews chapter 1. And Hebrews chapter 1 has seven facts about Jesus. Seven answers to that question, what child is this? And last time, we just looked at the very first one. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. And so the, the first answer to the question, what child is this, is he is the speech of God. 
Now, you might have been anticipating the answer and say he's the son of God, and that would be true as well. He's spoken to us in his son. The eternal son of God has become a man. That's who that baby is. But the son of God incarnate as a man is not just a man who speaks for God, like the prophets and all the various people who God has spoken through in the past, but the person himself is the speech himself. He's not just someone who speaks for God. He's the message. All the other speakers for God spoke of him. Well, we don't really need to rehash everything we said last week, but that's the beginning point. He's the speech of God. And we noticed that in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 2, the first verse of chapter 2 says, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. And you might ask the question, what have we heard? And the answer is Jesus. And so we noticed last time that whatever my problem is, there's a problem under my problem. My real problem is inadequate attention to Jesus. Because when I see Christ, when I know Christ, I hear from God. And there's really nothing that could be more important than that. And in fact, if we read the scriptures, we would find out that all of our difficulties, all of our suffering, all of our muddled thinking, all of our problems stem from looking away from God. And when you look away from God you die. And we have now seen God in Christ. We're going to have a little more to say about that today. So last time we noticed that this child, this baby in the manger is the speech of God. If you ask the question, what does God say? What God says is that child and the man that child grew to be and the things that man did and is doing. He's the message of God. Well, the text goes on. In these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. That child is the conclusion of everything. He is the conclusion of all things. The way Colossians puts it, everything is summed up in him. 
If we ask the question, where is everything headed? What is the destination of human history? The answer is Jesus. One day, the scripture says in Philippians, every human being will declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the judge who will give a true assessment at the end of every human life. One day it will be universally recognized that all things belong to him and all things exist for the praise of the glory of God in Christ. The only way humanity recognizes God is in Christ. Jesus is the period at the end of the sentence that is all of human history. We saw it in this text we read from Revelation, Omega, the end. He's the Z, or Z if you prefer, in our alphabet. Notice that last time we kind of skipped over this phrase, but it says, in these last days, God has spoken in his son. You know, if you took that expression that's translated here, in these last days, you could translate it more literally like this. Here at the end of days. (laughs) That's a more literal translation. These last days is literally end of days. And notice when are when we're talking now. Already when Hebrews was written, it's not the coming last days, it's these last days. The period in which we currently live is the end of days. How? Because God has spoken in his son who He has appointed the heir of all things. Jesus is the conclusion of the story, the story. In all the struggle, suffering, confusion, chaos, if I ask the question, what does God have to say about all this? The answer is that child in the manger. How do we resolve the chaos of the world we've made for ourselves? It ends in him, in his arrival in that town that little meaningless town of Bethlehem. The baby in the manger is the answer. We are living already at the end 
of history because we have received the answer of history already. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul writes, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time, did you hear that? The fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Whenever the scripture in the New Testament uses the expression, the last days, it's referring to something that has already begun. And it began that night in Bethlehem. When the living son of God was born a man. It is the answer, the resolution, the conclusion of everything. No more important event has taken place than the life of the Son of God as a human being. The child is a conclusion. Jesus is the period on the story of the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is the ambition, goal, end The conclusion of the story of the body of Christ, it is that we come to be Christ in Christ. The living exhibit of the image of God, the body of Christ. Then in verse 15 of Ephesians 4, he says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him. We grow into him. Not a bunch of mature men, but a mature man. The living representative of Christ in the creation. We grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You know, Jesus is also the period on my personal story. Here's what Romans 8 says, famous verse we all know, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We love to quote that verse. It's so encouraging, you know, when I'm facing trouble, it's good to know that even my trouble is somehow getting worked into the whole story by God for my benefit. But have you ever stopped to wonder what the benefit is? You got to keep reading. Verse 29. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. That means he determined in advance where they would end up. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what good? To be conformed to the image of his son. If I ask the question, what is God's goal in my life? That is it, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the first among many brothers. The first one of this kind. This is the end of the story for me and for you. If you are in Christ, the end of the story is I will become the Christ-like me. And then, together with all of you, we actually will fully represent the image of the living Son of God in the creation. That is the end of the story. So when the writer of Hebrews says, God has appointed him heir of all things, if we ask, what's he inherit? That, that, that. You know, the book of Ephesians, pretty sure it's Ephesians in chapter 1, calls us the inheritance of Christ. The perfectly restored, perfected humanity in the body, the church, the community of saints. Wow. So this child, he's the, he's the message of God, the speech of God, and he's the end, the conclusion of everything. And he's the beginning of everything. Well, that's kind of out of order. (laughs) He appointed him heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He started at the end, and then he goes to the beginning. He said, Jesus is where everything concludes, but Jesus is where everything started. Not just some things, everything. He's the beginning of all things. If we ask the question, where did everything come from? The answer is Jesus. In John chapter 1, all things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That is a very comprehensive statement. Nothing is left out. If anything exists, it is through him. Paul wrote in Colossians, By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible things and invisible things. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him. And then he can't resist the end of the story for him.
So here in Hebrews, through him also he made the world. Now, it's interesting, the word world here is not the normal word the New Testament uses for the, that, that we translate world. That word is the word cosmos, normally, but not here. And the word cosmos emphasizes the system. In fact, we nor- it's normally used in the New Testament as sort of a bad thing, the enemy. We have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when the New Testament says the world is our enemy, it's talking about the system of human society, the rebelled, rebelled against God human systems and institutions. represented, I suppose, by Rome or Babylon in the scriptures. That system. It's also used sometimes, it's the word cosmos. It it literally means the universe. The planets and the stars and the whole system of everything. But that's not the word here. The word here is the word eon. Well, if I say it correctly in Greek, ion. It's the word from which we get the English word eon, which means an age of time, uh, an epoch of history. And it's in the plural here. It means the ages. It's The way we say eternity in New Testament Greek is we say this word twice. Age upon age. That means forever. The emphasis here is not on the creation of the world as an ordered system. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's on the creation of the world as a history, a story, or the creation of time, the progression of time. The idea is that the creation is the stage of a story. And the story is told by Jesus. We've already observed the story is about Jesus. It ends in Jesus. Well, it begins in Jesus. And on that day, that baby in the manger is the playwright coming on the stage. The author appearing in the book. That's what's happening. He's the beginning of everything. Then we read this. And he is the radiance of his glory. He, the Son, is the radiance of his, the Father's, glory. And the exact representation of his nature. The image of God. This is what Paul means when he says in Colossians, He is the image of the invisible God. You and I are made after the image. He is the image. 
If you want to know what God was talking about when he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, you just have to read Genesis chapter 1. How were the other animals and creatures made? After its kind, after its kind, after its kind, after its kind. Repeatedly, he says, and he made these creatures after their kind. There was some kind of pattern he had in mind when he made cats. He had a cat pattern, he made a cat. What was the pattern for you? Let us make man according to our image, in our likeness. God himself is the image, the pattern for humanity. God himself, the person, the son of God, the eternal son who would become man, is the perfect man. The perfect human being. He is humanity. Completely realized that's who's lying in that dirty feed box in the middle of nowhere Bethlehem town. Who's welcomed by stupid farmers. That's who that is. The blood pumping through his face, the light shining in his eyes is the likeness of the living God. What God intended for all humanity to be in the beginning is realized in Christ. If we ask the question, what is God? The only answer is Jesus. At the table of the Last Supper, Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, that's what I've been doing. How can you say that? If you see me, you've seen him. John said in chapter 1, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. When the writer says Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, he means that Jesus is the way in which God makes his glory visible to others. In a human being, flesh and blood, in the creation. He's one of us. We might expect the radiance of God's glory to be more radiant. You know, Jesus, the little baby in the manger, his face didn't actually glow like a light bulb. In spite of the fact that you might have seen many depictions of that occasion where the baby's literally glowing. No, he looked just like any other baby. But if you looked at him, you were looking at God. The word became flesh, we read in John, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We sometimes think of the Son of God as setting aside or veiling his glory in the incarnation. There's a certain sense in which that's true, but here the incarnate Son, the Son of God made flesh, is the radiance of God's glory. So the incarnation of the Son, the birth of that baby, 
glorifies God by the very act of veiling his glory. (laughs) God is made more glorious in the veiling of his glory. God is glorious in humility. And we've talked a lot already about just how humble this thing is, this birth of this baby in the shed. Welcomed by shepherds. If you wanted to pick the worst people possible to welcome him, that's who you'd pick. I think that's who God picked for that reason. Because the life of Christ, the exhibition of the glory of God in this world is an exhibition of the most glorious humility conceivable. It's the opposite of what we aim for when we go for glory. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the good news of the glory of Christ. who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see this also in the second part of this expression. The Son is the exact representation of his nature. Now that tells you something about the nature of God. What is the nature of God? The answer to that question is the man Jesus. The only available answer to the question, what is the nature of God, is the man Jesus. All other answers to the question, what is the nature of God, are the inventions of the uninformed, to put it politely. If you ask what God is like, the answer is Christ. And you know, that humbling of himself, we read about this in Philippians, right? He humbled himself. He humbled himself to be one of us, and then as one of us, he humbled himself and humbled himself to what end? Death. Not just any death. The death of the cross. The great glory of God is in the great humility of the cross. Last time I said all theology is Christology. To know God, you need to know Christ. To study God, you have to study Christ. 
it's the only available school. And the schoolyard in which we study Christ is the cross of Calvary. My pastor said, you need to pitch your tent between the cross and the empty tomb. You need to live where you can see the cross and the resurrection. The perfect revelation of God in the man Jesus. You can't get it anywhere else. One more thing for today. This child carries history. We've been talking about the world is a story. All creation is a story told by God, written by Christ, in which Christ himself appears in order to reveal God to the other characters in the story. It says here, he's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds all things by the word of his power. In Colossians, he says it like this, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Stand upright together. And these are present tense verbs. <laughs> I guess if he took a day off, everything would come apart. If we ask the question, why does the earth keep orbiting the sun? Or why do electrons keep orbiting nuclei? Or what does the force of gravity have in common with subatomic forces? You've asked that question many times, right? It's the big mystery of physics, from what I'm told. I'm not a physicist. If you ask those questions, the answer is Jesus. We can write mathematical formulas for gravity, but Jesus makes it happen. Jesus is not just the beginning of everything and the end of everything. He's also the sustainer of everything. And the word upholds here is a little too static. It's like he's holding it up in place, you know, like. But the word actually is the word pharaoh. I, I apologize, but we, we get the English word fairy, F-E-R-R-Y. What's a fairy do? It carries things from here to there. We ferried them across the river or across the sea. That's this word, pharaoh, pharaoh. It literally means he carries all things. So he's the conclusion of everything, and he's the end, the beginning of everything, and he carries everything from here to here. He's the carrier. You see, Jesus is the author of history. The universe is not just a cosmos. 
It's not just an ordered system that functions according to particular physical laws. It's not just a material system. The universe is the setting of a story. The story of God told by Jesus, in which Jesus is the central character, the hero of the story. This is a, a, a worldview question. Do you view the world as some kind of mechanism that turns, you know, like an engine? Or do you view the world as a story told by someone about someone? Well, in the scripture, there's no question. The primary way to think of the world is it's a story. It has a mechanism, but it is a story. What this tells me is I don't really understand anything until I understand it in relation to Christ. Until I understand it in relation to Christ, I only kind of get it. And this includes such things as biology and physics and chemistry and engineering. How do they relate to the story, which is the thing itself? All theology is Christology. All physics is Christology. All biology is Christology. And most importantly, all history is Christology, the study of Christ. Or pointless. Whose story is this? It's the story of the baby in the manger. Of the baby? For the baby? By the baby. It's the story in which the author himself is the central character. It's the story of the glorious humility of the living triune God. So he's the conclusion of everything. He's the starter of everything. He's the carrier of everything. And in everything, he absolutely perfectly represents God the Father in humanity and to humanity. Think of it, you're the creation created to see God in Christ. To come to God by means of Christ. To be restored to your own image-bearing by the work of Christ. That is an important story in which you have a part. The whole story of everything is entirely about putting God on display in the incarnation of the Son of God. Where do you and I fit into that story? How does our story relate to that story? Well, to begin with, we're the audience. 
story is written to you and to me. He shows up in Bethlehem in a manger with us. Then there's some other ways I relate to this story. He inherits all things, including me. The scripture says the body of Christ is the inheritance of Christ. The recreation of right humanity by the cross of Christ, the reconciliation of people to God, the making us alive again in Christ, that is the thing he gains in the end. That's me, that's you. In him, the scripture says, if God freely gave us his only son, will he not also with him, along with him, freely give us all things? He inherits all things, and in him, we inherit all things. That's the end of the story. Well, and he's also, as we observed, he's the story, he's the author, not just of the grand story, but of your story and mine. In his face, I can see God. Jesus the Lord, Jesus Christ, makes God available to me and to you. He is not otherwise available. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is in the very same context. It is right in the very same context where he says to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen him. He carries the whole story. He carries me and you to exactly the right conclusion in him. Here's my response to all this. Oh, well. I can sit down then. I'm not the writer. I'm not the author. I can make certain things happen. I can be busy about the work of God and enjoy myself doing it. I can be what I'm called to be, bearing his image in this world. And all of that is nothing except a grand opportunity. There's no burden in it at all not even the slightest weight because he carries me and everything I might carry. Rest in him. He said on the cross, it is finished. Oh, I trust him. I'm going to live out my story, but now I can live it with security. I can live it with confidence, with boldness. I can do crazy things that might get me killed for Christ. I can love people in the same uncomfortable way Jesus loved people. full of grace and truth because he's my author 
He's my carrier. He's my beginning and my end. Trust in him. And then my story is just another chapter of his story. Praise God. Father, thank you for this amazing love that you showed to us in the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. Father, ground us in these things that are, that are true. Protect us, keep us from being fooled by the world and its silly thinking. Keep us confident in Christ. Make us secure in Christ. Make us bold in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.